Hello folks, this is Sassafras, and this is the Heart of Witchcraft podcast, where we try to discuss topics esoteric and not so esoteric in a manner which pulls such thoughts down from such lofty spheres and makes it somewhat more relatable to people. That's the intention anyway. But we talk about philosophy, theology, things that are quietly running in the background behind the more obvious aspects and elements of witchcraft. Anyway, today is a second episode of listener questions, and I've still got a bunch. Some have waited a long time for a response, others I've written back to. But I think the material it has provoked might be useful outside of those contexts uh, to just listeners, so we're going to do another one. Uh, The names have been changed, asterisks, and some personal details have been snipped out in places to keep us from getting too invasive. Okay, so, Jim says... Just wanted to say thank you. You and Ashley are awesome. I'm 51 starting this journey. I am 51 starting this journey and have always thought this is what I wanted. I wanted a sign and I got that in a big way. When you're married to a Catholic wife and you have to remain in the closet with all this for now, it makes these podcasts more helpful than you know. I can't really buy books for now, uh, so this is what I get. Again, thank you and don't stop. Jim. Well, Jim, thank you for your sentiments, and I can't really take credit for how awesome Ashley is. She's gone full supernova, and it's only continued since you sent this message oh so long ago. Uh, She works very hard on nearly everything that she approaches in life, and she makes it look so effortless. She is amazing. She's a fabulous cook. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, Her podcast, for those who don't know, is Seeking Witchcraft, and it's it's really gone on strong this whole time that I've kind of been away from this, Uh, so I'm grateful that it has, uh, because... You know, folks that are interested in this topic have it as a resource. You aren't really posing a question, but it kind of poses a situation uh, for which I have a comment or two about. <clears throat> to married life, matrimony, it, uh, it, well, it does complicate things a bit uh, when you find you're of a different religion than your spouse or that your spouse's religion is uh, in a complex relationship with, with witchcraft. Um, And this only gets more complicated if there are children in the picture, and it's hard enough to do in a relationship without legal ramifications, like, you know, marriage and the complexities of of all of that. If I read this correctly, you may have married thinking yourself a witch already, or at some point um, you put that part of yourself in the broom closet with anxiety concerning just how much of this you could express without running into some sort of danger. It's complicated, and all you can do is feel it out. Hopefully your partner realizes that regardless of your beliefs, you're still the same person, you're still their partner. Uh, Even if they end up getting a glimpse into that realm of your being, you're the same person, your feelings aren't tied up in the stuff that you do, uh, just as theirs may or may not be. It it gets complicated uh, how people view religion and, and the role it takes in their lives. It depends a little on how classically liberal they are on that, which is to say, you know, willing to let you believe as you do, uh, and that not being a challenge to their own beliefs. Again, it's complicated. <clears throat> but luckily, witchcraft can take nearly any appearance that you desire. Uh, if you're Catholic, or if you were raised Catholic, or if you just make small adjustments to things that you're already doing, that may make it a bit more amiable to yourself, or from the other direction, to your wife. Uh, you may find you can dress it in clothes that she wouldn't even blink at. Uh, there are Christian witches out there. Uh, they may call themselves white witches. Maybe that was a maybe that's gone out of uh, out of vogue. I don't know. Uh, there are certainly plenty of Christian witchcraft books in existence. Uh, which again, even if you don't buy into their particular beliefs of the authors, then perhaps reading their perspective can put you more 
in a position in which you can toe that line uh, with your own beliefs and don't have to be quite as much in the broom closet. It, I mean, again, this is a huge sphere and it's, it's complex. Uh, you state that you don't have the luxury of getting books. Uh, I would just encourage you to be careful, uh, like I do for most folks in delicate situations. Witchcraft doesn't pay for broken windows, and it really doesn't pay for broken marriages. So good luck to you folks that are in those situations. I would encourage you guys to have discretion and take care with just how much stock you put into the various more obvious forms of witchcraft that kind of make the rounds on various forms of social media. Um... A lot of these are very heavy into aesthetic, which is very difficult if you're in the broom closet. And in some of these cases, one has to wonder just how much is beneath the surface of these immaculate, uh, immaculate altars and other kinds of things like that, um, that, that, get, that gets passed around on social media. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, I'd worry more about your own stuff. Um, it, it, a lot of these fancy altars just kind of smacks of consumerism. Uh, but, you know, do what you can do, and don't do what you can't do, if you follow me there. Okay. This next one is a little deep, uh, but bear with me. <clears throat> um, I love these kinds of thinky things. Good evening, Sassafras. So, first of all, I would like to compliment you with regards to your podcasts. Just came across Seeking Witchcraft, uh, which is another great podcast, by the way, which then led me to your podcast. Uh, great content and topics as well, and it makes me eager to learn and research more stuff. Also, I do somehow feel that at some point in the podcast, you do end up swaying a bit from topic, um, the topic at hand, but that's not necessarily a bad thing since it, that clearly shows me the passion, your eagerness to share this knowledge with others. Moreover, these topics are definitely vast, so kudos to you to be able to make it in time for a 30-minute podcast. One of the topics that really got me thinking was the one pertaining to the thought on theism and atheism in witchcraft. Now, when talking about atheism and witchcraft, at first glance, I do personally find it extremely difficult that the two would coexist. Obviously, this depends on various things, such as what one what would have driven the person to label themselves as an atheist and their definition of atheism. If a person defines atheism as a strong belief in the existence of gods or goddesses, but would then be open to other things such as spirits or the supernatural or unexplainable, then maybe one could envision magic and atheism as being present in one's life. In addition, what has driven that person to calling themselves an atheist is extremely important in this so-called coexistence. If someone has experienced if someone is expecting to be given solid proof for the existence of God, should he use the same train of thought for other things? Shouldn't he then have the same standard in respect to magic and the supernatural? Then, once again, if proof and scientific evidence are provided for magic, would we dare to still call it magic? Another chunk of atheists are those who are led to their path by their initial religious beliefs. For, for instance... I have spoken of a lot with a lot of Catholics who later called themselves atheists. Most of them ended up on this path because they were they had thought that there was one true and benevolent God who is in fact omnipresent and omniscient. So, in this world with wars, sickness, diseases, and deception, somehow that led to their beliefs in gods crumbling. Others found themselves denying the existence of gods because of the words and actions of their own spiritual leaders. How many times would religious dogma lead to people questioning their own faith and beliefs? If these dogmas cannot be questioned, coupled with the indoctrination of a one true God, they might find themselves denying the divine at the same time not seeking for other things. 
Now, what have brought me personally to this path? I was born and raised as Catholic, but somehow I did question the teachings that I was taught. Often, I... sorry. Often, I would not take the stories from the Bible literally, but obviously as stories with lessons and deeper meanings. I found it inconceivable that I happened to be raised at the right time and place to have found the one true God. What about the rest of non-Christians? Would they be damned to a fiery hell simply because they were unlucky enough to be born in the wrong place in the wrong time? Moreover, I did find Catholicism and other main religions as highly rigid with their own beliefs and did not feel that connection with others might have been found. Over time, I started developing a thought that if, in the beginning, there was one whole divine, and over time, when mankind was developing, they began to worship different aspects of the divine as such, like the moon, the sun, the earth, the sky, the good, the evil, giving them various names, but they would still refer to the same aspects of the one whole. As mankind developed, more aspects of their lives merged with the divine, and more gods and goddesses were named and worshipped. But deep down, they were still the same gods and goddesses, albeit with different names and aspects merging into one. So, <clears throat> on a closing note, and apologies if this email ended up being quite lengthy, and I'm pretty sure I might be wrong in many counts, and pretty sure I may have my own flaws, keep in mind that I'm relatively new to all of this, I just wanted to tell you what led me to this path. P.S. Keep up the great content, you're doing a wonderful job, regards, Pete. Well, <clears throat> uh, thank you for your email, Pete. I think it's pretty neat to hear folks' backgrounds as well as what kind of brings them to this stuff. This email is food for thought on how one could call themselves an atheist witch. Uh, this in reference to some musing I had done in one of the earlier episodes, as he pointed out. <clears throat> um, I think that when we turn to the study of the gods of different cultures through anthropology, when we do this comparative religion, uh, we should in turn kind of look into the earlier studies of that and kind of what take a look at what projections that we were put on those trailblazing efforts that kind of created modern anthropology. Um, I do kind of feel like we've entered into this critical period of time where we don't really have original thoughts anymore. It's so much easier to just tear things down without offering actual replacement because so much of the previous stuff kind of lays down the groundwork and it, it well, you have to demolish it to make room for new, but I kind of feel like the new hasn't really emerged that matches with the old. It, it, I mean, it, it's kind of back and forth. I tend to like older books. I kind of like how older books are written. Maybe that's a weakness of mine. Anyway, back to Victorian projections. Um, I've heard a lot on this topic, often disparaging things like James Frazier's book, The Golden Bough, uh, which is perhaps the most influential anthropology book ever written. Uh, notice the word influential there. Even if one thinks very lowly of it, then one should had better be familiar with it, I think. Um, this actual book isn't even a book. It's a series of books. It was first published in two volumes. By the third edition, it had 12 volumes. And that's just asking too much of someone to read all at once. Um, a more consumable digest is hyper-abridged by comparison. But often when people are talking about the book, they're just talking about that one volume of the book. Well, in any case, it kind of chops up and talks about kind of taking the human perspective on nature and making that nature divine. And that thus that is a creative action of what kind of spawns the gods, as it were. Um, and the, one of the criticisms of this from the Victorian perspective is, well, it takes a very kind of simplistic view of not only the gods, but of people, and says, oh, well, you know, the sun is a god, the moon is a god, the waves are a god, the tides are a god, the hills are gods. The, you know, it kind of turns into, like, all the world is magic and everything is a god. 
which is kind of true. This is something that they've documented. This is um, animism uh, is is one of the kind of forms that they look at. And of course, you know, these books from the, these older books would, would term animism as being kind of primitive. But that's often because these Victorians were thinking that all of history was leading to the Victorian era. Um, and so all the things that have passed away were doing so, so that the Victorian era and all of its uh, usually Christian values, but I mean, not not all of them are Christian, but often a lot of them are kind of Christianized. Christianity has this aspect of wanting to kind of branch out to and put have its its fingerprints all over most of the learning in societies where it is the majority religion. But this, I don't think that's really any different than any religion. I think it's a human thing to kind of tie everything in so that we feel like we have one seamless web of knowledge. But uh, in any case. Um, I kind of think, I mean, like, and, and we're weak against the same thing. We kind of think that the old previous orders were are making making their way now and passing away to make room for the new kind of modern or even postmodern point of view. And, uh, I mean, it's literally, we're just doing the exact same thing again uh, in so many ways. And, and then people who, who then criticize these older things are often not really talking about it, because they haven't read it, but they're familiar with the authors, they're familiar with the titles of books, and somewhat the theme of the books. They can't really get into the book's real flaws, they can just kind of get into uh, what the flaws are in their presented, uh, regurgitated Wikipedia reading, which does kind of serve in some respects, I like Wikipedia, but it, it often kind of leads to a drowning out of independent or original thought, or alternate takes, or something like that. I kind of think that, like, we're moving into this period where we're not going to have a whole lot of independent or original thought. It's all going to be citing things, which, I mean, if you are if you talk to me, all I do is cite books and stuff like that, but, well, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to sound mean-spirited, folks. Uh, anyway, um, I, I don't feel like I'm a mean-spirited person, but I guess a mean-spirited person would say that, too. Uh, well, anyway, sorry, Pete. <laughs> Went off the rails there, as you described. Um, but uh, thank you for your thoughts. I, I liked that one. Next up, we have uh, Anya. That's my craft name, and I'm still in the broom closet. Marry me. I've listened to every episode of Heart of Witchcraft, which I found after listening to all of Ashley's Seeking Witchcraft episodes. I've really enjoyed your perspectives. My goal in writing you today is to seek guidance, if you're amenable to providing it. I'm curious to know if the below is something you or others in your personal circle have experienced before. If so, what do you all recommend? Apologies in advance for the length of this email. More context can be useful in these moments, but it can also be overwhelming. Feel free to ask me any questions. I'm a relatively open book. Or simply tell me to go away. We're strangers, so I'd understand. I'm in a rut, and I don't know how to get out. There's something missing in my journey. From reflecting... I think I'm yearning for a greater depth of knowledge, uh, more spiritual experience, perhaps even a community. Um, for community, I've joined a few Facebook groups. Uh, it's a great starting point, and a safe place knowing that I'm not alone is so helpful. However, those groups are starting to feel only surface level, or many who post are simply there for different reasons or going in a different direction than myself. So I started looking for these local groups. Uh, there are only two groups or covens in my area, and both appear to be good fits based on their bios, but I'm not sure if I'm ready for that level of commitment yet. I don't want to waste their time or end up disappointing them if they become reliant upon me or I discover that our ideologies don't mesh. Is there an in-between step to explore? Is there a way to find an elder witch who could mentor me in their eclectic solo practitioner ways? 
how did you know when you were ready to contact a coven? For spirituality, it can be a bit of a Pandora's box here. First, I feel used to feel this peaceful presence around me. It was powerfully emotional, a knowing of sorts. It felt ancient and of nature, and it felt feminine. Over time, I just assumed it was Jesus, Christianity in my background, or hormones, or maybe being an overly imaginative child. I hadn't felt this presence in a long time. I used to get glimpses here and there, but those have faded now too. This saddens me, and I'm worried that whatever or whomever it is will never come back because I discounted it for so long. I'm also worried that whatever magic was within me, it's now lost due to neglect. Aside from that, I'm having difficulty getting into the right headspace to conduct rituals with meaning. I light the candles, I say the words, but I'm not feeling it. Do I take this serious? Or I do take this seriously, but there's some sort of block. Is it normal when starting out? Should I do nature walks, chanting, incense, or just go through the motions of crafting until the feels come back? Any thoughts on the ancient presence or losing one's magic within? Is that even a thing? For knowledge, though I appreciate part of the beauty that we do is having true autonomy to create our own path, I must admit I crave structure and often miss the syllabuses of college. Syllabi of college? I like an academic approach before going fully rogue. Uh, part of the problem is finding good content or that the content that or finding content that retains my interest. So what I've come across seems very basic or repetitive. I mean no disrespect to the content creators, it was good when first exploring, but I want the next level of understanding and I'm having trouble finding resources for that. Is it common for others to feel as they seek to wade deeper? Uh, is it a known issue because of how witches or pagans are persecuted and had to hide practices over time? Or is it because oral tradition was favored over written? I've come across the information, but I need, but or maybe I've come across the information, but I need to change my perspective on it. So here's what I what I have read, watched, or listened to. Okay, folks. So this is uh, I'm breaking in here. This is a, a list of different things. I'm going to list them just so that you guys can look into them if you so choose. I'm not necessarily advocating for any of them except for the the podcasts up here. I think they're all. Um, with the exception of my own, I think they're all pretty great, um, like these folks. But so let's go ahead because you know let's 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 call this. Uh, here's a list of stuff for people to uh, to look into. So it's ironic this person um, Anya is looking for resources, but instead they've given me a big list, and I'm going to say, hey guys, here are some things to look into. <clears throat> anyway, so for podcasts, there's Seeking Witchcraft. Heart of Witchcraft, I'm not sure why she listed that one, The Christian and the Witch, and Feast of Torches. For documentaries, the, these are things on Netflix, Prime, Hulu, Timeline, National Geographic, BBC, A&E. So we have Witches, A Century of Murder, The Origins of Witch Trials, The Pendle Witch Child, Ancient Mysteries, Witches, Secrets of the Dead, Witch's Curse, which, Secrets of the Dead, Witch's Curse, The Burning Times, The Salem Witch Trials, Gnosis, Story of Wicca, Witches, Myths and Legends. And on YouTube, we have The Green Witch, and any documentary uh, that she can find on British traditional witchcraft, Wicca, Gerald Gardner, Crowley, Paganism, The Celts. Uh, books, we have Seasons of Wicca by Ambrosia Hawthorne, Witchery, Embrace the Witch Within by Julia Diaz, uh, Book of Pagan Prayer by, oh, 
Uh, okay, so um, these sort of Welshy, Celtic-y names I'm, I'm going to have some trouble with, but I'll try it by a book of pagan prayer by <laughs> Sazwer Sereth. And uh, yeah, no, I got that all wrong. Of course, I'm, I'm sure it's more properly pronounced something like, you know, Sisui or something like that. I don't know. Uh, last name is Sereth. That's easy enough. S-E-R-I-T-H. A book of pagan prayer. No insult intended. Uh, I'm not quite sure what I'm... Uh, I, I, I don't have the capability of pronouncing that correctly. The Modern Guide to Witchcraft by Sky Alexander. Traditional Wicca, A Seeker's Guide by Thorn Mooney. Uh, Garnerian Book of Shadows. Just period. There you go. Initiated. Memoirs of a Witch by Amanda Yates Garcia. High Magic's Aid. The Hammer of Witches by Some Medieval Assholes. And The Witches by Stacey Schiff. That's S-C-H-I-F-F. Um, and that, that ends the email. Or that ends the, the email from Anya. So, uh, well, there are a few things. Um, I'm going to make a few comments on this list here at the end first before I get started. I, I really genuinely want folks to know that the Celtic stuff and stuff that is involving the Celts uh, is not, uh, for a while it was presented in like the 70s, and it feels like they were just making up all kinds of shit in the 70s. Um, it, Celtic was supposed to be, well, that's what witchcraft is. That's what Wicca is. Wicca is just Celtic stuff. But it's a veneer. Like that, it, it got popular at that very specific time, even though not a whole lot of genuine information was being like written about the subject. So I kind of feel like a lot of the times when we look at stuff which is Celtic, we're not actually looking at stuff that's Celtic. It gets kind of stuck in a trap of this fake lore that got written in that period of time, and that has caused people to go into all kinds of directions. Um, for example, pe when people think of the Celts, they tend to think of uh, Wales, Ireland, and Scotland. Uh, maybe, you know, the Brittany region of France. But that's not the oldest, that's kind of where Celtic stuff kind of ended up, but it's not really Celtic stuff in so much as, well, Rome reigned. The Celts were a large kind of trading empire, and they weren't necessarily like, a, it wasn't really an ethnic group. Uh, the oldest Celtic artifacts we have are from Switzerland and Austria, far outdating anything that we find in the British Isles, for example. So it's like, when you talk about the Celts, what are you talking about? It, it really it really gets into kind of like we're not talking about Celtic stuff. We've just taken Celtic stuff as being what we find in Wales, Ireland, and Scotland, when in reality what we're looking at when we see those things is the evolution of those cultures after the Christian invasion. After, after well, not so much. Well, I mean, I guess it was invasion in some cases, but like kind of post-Christianity, but in reality, it's even deeper than that, because a lot of these things have kind of woven in with Christianity in their own ways, and and represent something that is uniquely of that island, but like the Celtic knot, like the Celtic kind of uh, interweaving features, that actually shows up in like Norse and Germanic stuff earlier than in Celtic stuff. It, it, and they, in turn, may have gotten it from... I mean, it gets complicated when we're talking about these various things. But, I mean, ultimately, if you type in Celtic, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're not going to see anything of what the heck I was just talking about. Um, and that, that gets into the movement of peoples, the migration of peoples and cultures and material objects and archaeology and anthropology and all of that. It gets ugly. In any case, I'm sorry for my Celtic rant uh, on that. 
I'm going to do another rant right after it. Uh, so here in the States, we call Wicca British traditional witchcraft. Uh, that's what we call it when we're talking about either Gardnerian or Alexandrian Wicca. In Britain, they don't use the term British traditional witchcraft because they have the word Wicca. Uh, so they don't have to go in that direction with it. So I've kind of, over time, and in talking with some, uh, some, some English folks, I, I just can't get into the term British traditional witchcraft. I kind of have to tear it down everywhere I see it because it, this is an American, this would be, it, it just seems a little bit ludicrous because they don't call it that. And when, this would be like if someone's talking about an American hamburger in Egypt and it has no connection to anything we would recognize as an American hamburger you know what I mean? It, so it gets into kind of a weird thing. And again, I can't help myself but compare witchcraft and food. What's up with that? All right, all right. So <clears throat> to try and go back to the, the whole thing that's being presented, let's, let's see if we can do that. Um, and it's possible that in some of my earlier questions I addressed some of this talking about sources uh, and re resources you can, you can draw on. And actually this kind of looks into, you know, have, having taken a step deeper into the things that I suggest, like finding community uh, and still finding it uh, coming up short, rather. So I'm going to try and avoid retreading the same ground in approaching this question. There are a few competing themes throughout this email. On one hand, we have, I'm starting out and this is how it feels. And on the other hand, we have, I'm starting out, but I'm wanting more advanced stuff. Uh, I have the urge to forge my own path, but in comparison with that, I do feel this urge for community, and, um, and it seems, according to this, wanting some sort of direct instruction. And holding that last thing back is the concern of, you know, you don't want to be seen as a flake if you find that the malaise of your spiritual life is also present in your group activities or when you interact with people on this subject. I feel like you list a number of ideas that you've had to try and deal with this sort of burnout that you're experiencing and some mundane, some mundane, some not so mundane bits that you feel might be culprit to this issue. So I suggest taking a full court press approach and applying every single thing that you've put up here. Um, some thoughts. Immerse, immerse yourself in nature. Uh, at times, which don't quite seem proper. So go to the beach or go to a lake in the depth of winter, as it is right now, it's freezing in here. Uh, winter is my favorite time to visit the ocean. And, and you may not be able to visit the ocean, but you know, visit a, a spot in nature at a time which is not the peak kind of tourist season for it and see what it's like in those circumstances when it doesn't have its swimsuit on, um, to make a tiny joke. Uh, for, for me, going to the ocean in winter, there's just something to it. The scything wind that cuts through you, the waves and the water, feeling so different in winter than in summer. This untouchable, being held at a remove, like you're not going to jump in and enjoy it because to do so would kill you. Uh, you know, you, you, you find yourself in a bad circumstance. But it's, it's just as mighty or maybe even more mighty and more present in, in, than it is in the pleasant times when everyone's enjoying it. I don't know. Maybe it's seeking to be alone in nature. Maybe there's something to that, uh, you know, without tempting the bears. Uh, I think that personally, my own greatest savior, as it were, uh, is in this thing, is poetry. There's just something to the way that words are woven together that can evoke these incredibly strong emotions from just a line or two. And uh, those lines are measured very carefully to do so. But the poet isn't perfect, as anyone who has tried to write poetry knows very well.
and it, it covers such a huge portion of the human experience, experience and, uh, you know, there's poetry in every language that we've had languages for. Um, some of those even get English translations. Song lyrics written by particular lyricists or even translated by the right poet can do this, and, uh, or actually it's, it's just an example, and perhaps I reveal myself uh, too much in this and my own tastes, but, so this is from, <laughs> this is from a Cradle of Filth song. But, like, this is an example of the sort of thing that I find very potent. When the sun has wept upon the waveless lake, and the mists steal in with ease, coven wolves are their eerie, dissonant napes, in adoration of the moon in thee, they call as I to thee. And I will come, as if in dream, my languid, dark, and lustrous Malarasian queen, a vengeful ancient breed, Gilded with the pelts of many enemies, Arash Kagal, raven-haired. Thy seduction haunts the castle in erotic despair. I can taste thy scent by candlelight. Legs of porcelain traced and laced to their lair. Appease the beast on spattered sheets. Dyed unearthly red as sobriety weeps. Nocturnity. She shall come for me. A black velvet painting sprung to elegant life like a poignant Madonna perverted to night. And I have ridden from the westerning light to expend my lust, tear away the funereal dress. Know that I will escape from my death, surrender to the splendor of her sharpened caress. <laughs> uh, I eat that right up. I just can't help myself. I love dark gothic poetry. Uh, I would read The Raven in character at particular people's birthdays. I just enjoy it. Uh, it doesn't need to be that. It could easily have been used there instead, a piece from a Thomas Taylor translation of an Orphic hymn. Uh, some people just have it, man. Um, so, like, even in reading that kind of poetry, it just fires the engines. It spurs on and demands that one continue. You can't help but to want to write or read or perform, and ritual is all of that. We put, we put such a focus on ritual itself. The ritual is the training. The ritual is everything. That's the great secret. And I think that might just be something for groups or a particular group or my particular group. Um, I don't know. All of this is from my own frame of reference. Uh, you can never find if a dress fits just right unless you try it on. So go on, meet people and join groups and see if you click with them or with some of them. And COVID. Right. So, good luck to you there on that. Since this question was asked, uh, and it's a bit of an old email, since then, Thorne Mooney has come out with a book which addresses burnout and witchcraft, uh, The Witch's Craft, Advancing Your Craft at Every Level, uh, which I am surprised to find is available not only as a book, but on Audible. Goddamn. Uh... I don't confess to, I confess that I don't own it, I haven't read it, but it might assist you. On the notion of losing your witchcraft or feeling the departing of the familiar spirit, well, this happens, and I think it's burnout, like I just said. Uh, I think it comes from a number of factors. Some are external to your own practice entirely, and some are contained therein. Uh, an exercise that my own coven does, along with our students, is that of taking 30 days and dedicating them for a particular purpose. Uh, through the use of regular practice and learning during that span of time, this solid month. Um, or usually it's a, moon, it's a moon cycle. It's from, you know, full to full, new to new, something like that. I'm not giving you too many details because it's my covenant's practice. It's not, it's not strictly speaking mine. It doesn't, like, belong to me in any way. 
But in any case, doing it that way and kind of apportioning a period of time through your day, I think is very helpful. But keeping things after that kind of more intensive day, daily practice, and this is a solitary thing, this is just, you know, everybody goes home and does their own thing. You can't help but feel like you wind down from it. Like you sometimes like you kind of squeezed the last bit of juice out of the, uh, the fruit of your practice. But on the other hand, part of that practice is just working it into your daily routine and making it part of that routine. Uh, this is the secret of the Abermelon operation, I think. I feel like I'm the only one who, when they read that text, and, and you look, I look at it and I see how completely permissive and adaptable the ritual is and the author is encouraging you to be. I'm talking about book two. Like, and it's the, be the meat and bones of the rite. Like, you could throw away the other books in the Abermelon, uh, in the, what is it, Sacred Magic of Abermelon. Like, you could throw those other books away, and I feel like that's the complete thing. Everybody focuses on, like, the number tables, and I don't understand why, because book two literally says you don't need anything but this, and you can be chillax about You don't have to be a Nazi about it as long as you're doing this stuff. It's kind of ironic to use the word Nazi when describing a what describes itself as a Jewish magical operation. <sighs> okay. It's, it's, it's complicated. That particular book is complicated. That particular grimoire is complicated. Um, because it, it is a lot of things that it doesn't say it is, and it isn't a lot of things that it does say it is. Uh, but if you, you, it depends on how you read it, man. Like, you interpret the stuff you read, whether you like it or not. You need to come to grips with that. There is no such thing as objectivity. People are kidding themselves. Everybody's high. Well, anyway, when, when I talk about that particular book with other people who are familiar with that book, sometimes it really feels like I'm in the twilight zone because I feel like I'm just, maybe I'm just that far out there. In the end, I don't think I've been much help to you, Anya. <laughs> Uh, this is really just how I answer questions in general, so you got a, a, a taste of the, of, of the real sassafras here, I guess. Uh, and my, I know that my students hate me for it, so you too get to be victim to my tangents, uh, which skip right past your valid concerns. Um, so, so this is true to form and, and organic and authentic. Uh, whatever I need to say right now so that I can sleep at night. Alrighty, uh, that's going to wrap up this second batch of listener questions. I have more of these that I could do if you enjoy this format or you enjoy just hearing me blather on like this, uh, please feel free to send me your own question at heartofwitchcraft at gmail.com. I appreciate uh, all of that. So yeah, thank you once more for listening to the Heart of Witchcraft podcast, and I hope you and yours are as safe as you can be in these times. Please take care of yourselves, and blessed be.